Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, Reed Goosens here, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate. I hope you're having a great day. Thanks for dropping by and tuning in and continuing to grow your investing knowledge of U.S. real estate. Each week, we come to you live from Los Angeles, California, talking about all things related to U.S. real estate investing and how you too can successfully break into the U.S. market as an international investor, just like I did. Each episode, we'll be interviewing industry leaders, real estate entrepreneurs, and good old-fashioned go-getters who can help provide you the tools to start successfully investing in the U.S. So let's get into today's show. Today's show is focused on all things related to the U.S. taxation system as an international investor buying U.S. real estate. My guest in the hot seat is Brent Green. G'day, Brent. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of a time difference there, but all good. Brent is the managing partner and an international tax consultant at Non-Resident Tax Advisors CPA. He has over 18 years experience as a CPA advising his clients on the best tax strategies for their investments. Non-Resident Tax Advisors, or NTA, is a boutique CPA firm that specializes in assisting non-resident U.S. investors and domestic property management firms with their tax reporting requirements here in the U.S. Brent currently assists individuals in over 40 countries with their U.S. income and estate tax planning, entity structuring, income tax preparations, and obtaining ITIN numbers. So Brent, not everyone thinks taxes are sexy, but as an international investor myself here in the US, I know the importance of getting the right advice when it comes to my taxes and my real estate portfolio. So I'm actually really glad I've got you on the show to pick your brains a little bit. Before we jump into it, can you tell the listeners something that most people might not know about you unrelated to US real estate and taxation? Well, I guess one weird fact is I was born on the day JFK was shot. I was a college football player. Uh, just because I'm an accountant, I'm kind of uh, a non-nerd, I guess, in some ways. Right, right, right. So you got the muscles and the brawn. That's good. Yeah, so, I used to be a bouncer in college. It's great to hear. So, Brent, <laughs> Brent, with that being said, can you give the listeners a little bit more in-depth look at your background and really what motivated you to go down the path of becoming a successful tax advisor? Yeah. As you said, I have about 18 years of experience uh, as a CPA. I've worked in a lot of different industries. I was working in uh, the international division of a larger firm, and my friend Chris Picuro uh, owned this small firm, and uh, we partnered up. He said, I have a lot of clients that are non-residents in the U.S. I really don't know how to handle this, and I have too much of a workload. Would you be interested in coming over and starting a new division of my company and taking the ball and running with it? And I said, yes. It sounds interesting and challenging, and it has been. We've been doing it for four years now. So fantastic. It's growing every day. Fantastic. And just a little bit of background you solely work with international investors wanting to break into the US market, correct? Almost, almost exclusively. Wow. I mentioned you over 40 countries around the world. What are the, some of the more exotic places that people are from? Well, actually, I have a trust in Mauritius. Oh, wow. Okay. Which I never even heard of before. <laughs> uh, we, have lot, we have a lot of people in, in Singapore, Thailand, China, obviously Australia, New Zealand, Canada, uh, the Netherlands. Wow. 
and all buying real estate or just, you know, investing in businesses as well? Well, yeah, we have mostly real estate. We have a guy that's from Greece that actually has a company that uh, is going to fix and clean tankers, uh, oil tankers, mm-hmm. in the Gulf of Mexico. Wow. He's got a contract with the U.S. and he's got a visa to come over and work at least five years over here. Fantastic. Hooked him up with an immigration attorney and uh, got his you know, company structured and started and we're starting to do his books and all that stuff. So. That's great. So listeners, as I've already mentioned, today's show is about understanding tax implications when you own U.S. real estate as an international investor. We'll be going through the A to Z of what you need to know to get started investing in the U.S., how international investors need to report to the U.S. government, and understanding if there's any tax advantages associated with owning U.S. real estate. So Brent, let's start at the beginning. Can you walk us through the steps needed to be completed before an international investor can start acquiring U.S. real estate? Well, obviously, they need to identify a property, so they need to work with somebody that they trust to, to buy a good property. Like I say, we don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Mm-hmm. They need to find some, find a good property that ha- in a good location in a city that's growing mm-hmm. and find a, a property manager to, to manage it, and then they need to figure out what kind of structure they need. And so depending on the size of their investment, their investment horizon, their age, and what they plan to do with it, you know, that's that's what depends on the structure that, that they need. Typically, you're going to dip your toes in. Mm-hmm. So you're going to buy one or two small properties or something like that. And here the, inter- the interesting thing with taxes is the IRS giveth, the IRS taketh away. <laughs> so what's good for estate and gift tax is not good for income tax. The U.S. has some of the lowest individual income tax rates in the world. Right. So, so buying as an individual, or mm-hmm. through an LLC or that type of entity where the income flows to you is very tax advantage for you, mm-hmm. and you get a credit on your Australian or whatever country you're from. You get a credit in the U.S. for the tax, so you never pay, you know, higher than the highest rate. So that that sort of leads me into my next question, and that's like, well, what a type of the taxes am I expected to pay as an international investor owning U.S. real estate? Now, there's graduated tax rates. Mm-hmm. So as an individual, there's graduated tax rates. There's also an exemption for individuals of 4000 So the first 4000 of income, you're not going to pay taxes on. After that, it's 10% for the first like 9000 beyond that. Mm-hmm. And then it gets into the 15% bracket for about another, up to about 35000 And then you get into higher brackets. I mean, if you're earning $35,000 a year from rental properties, you're doing pretty well. <laughs> because because what you do get, which is nice in this country, is depreciation, mm-hmm. which you don't get in a lot of countries on your rental properties. Right. So it's it's a non-cash expense that reduces your taxable income. Right, right, right. And we're going to talk a little bit more about depreciation for later on in the show, but I wanted to touch a little mm-hmm. bit more on entity structuring. And, you know, it can be, you know, people who don't know what entity structuring means – it can be very complex to an international investor first moving to the U.S. and someone says, "Do you need to, you need to form an entity to buy this real estate?" And sort of, what are, you, what are you talking about? So, can you walk us through what you recommend to your international investors when buying U.S. real estate as an international investor and what type of entities they need to be engaging in? First of all, I don't believe you should ever buy something in your own name mm-hmm. because you're you're subject to lawsuits. Right. So, definitely want to set up at least. Typically, you'll set up an LLC, mm-hmm. 
And it can be a single member or a multi-member. So if you have several people that want to pool together and buy, you know, say a block of properties, they can pool their resources together and set up either an LLC, which is a limited liability company, or a limited liability partnership, wherein each person pays on their share of income earned by that entity. The entity itself has a file return, but it does not pay tax. Another structure is, say you, you're not worried about the extra rates because corporations have, have higher rates, but you want anonymity and you, you just don't want to deal with doing tons of tax returns, getting ID numbers and all this stuff. You could set up a corporation or you can do something what's called check the box. You could set up an LLC, file a form with the IRS saying we want to be treated as a corporation. Okay. Um, you could also buy in a trust. So you could, you could buy as a foreign trust, set up a trust for your family and buy that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, another obviously common way is the uh, superannuation funds. You can buy through those. But typically, you're going to buy, you know, you're going to buy the property. You're going to form an LLC, buy the property in the LLC. The LLC will be owned either by individuals or some other entity, yep. such as a, a superannuation fund or something like that. Right. And did I hear you correctly by saying that the LLC isn't taxed? It's you as the individual uh, who is a member of the LLC. Is that is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Although in each state, there is an annual fee and you have to have a registered agent. So it typically costs you about 100 to $150 to have an LLC each year right. in the state that's in. Right. And if I'm international, so you mentioned before, I'm an international investor. I'm owning, say, a multifamily property and it cash flows. And you sort of allude, you went through, you just went through the, the numbers there. I think you said up to 4,000, you don't get taxed. Over 4,000 is, is X percent. But what are the, could you just reiterate those rates again that I will be taxed at from that rental income that I get from my properties? Yeah, like as you were saying, there's an exemption amount, $4,000 for this year. And then the next 9500 after that will be at 10%. Right. So you're up to thirteen five. Beyond that, up to about 35000 that rate is 15%. You pay the graduated rate on each level of income. So you don't, say you've reached 25000 you don't pay 15% on the whole thing. Right. You pay 10% on the first 9500 after right. the 4000 exemption, and then you pay 15% on that. Right. So if you're lucky enough to get into the 25, 28, 33, there's tons of there's tons of brackets. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. If you're lucky that, enough to get into those, you're not going to be that concerned about it because you're earning nice money. Right, and that's what you mean by graduated. They sort of split it up for the first X amount of money as it comes through the door. And Brent, when I talk about rental income, I'm talking you're talking about the gross rental income, correct? You're not talking about the cash flow after you paid your operating expenses and after paid your mortgage, it's the government will look at what did this property rent the gross rental income from this property, correct? No, it's actually net rental income. So it's the gross income minus your typical expenses. Mm-hmm. Like you said, your cash expenses are going to be your management fee. You're not here, so you're not going to be able to manage it yourself. Right. You're going to have repairs. You're going to have property taxes on the local local level each year. You're going to have insurance on your property. So these are the type of operating expenses that an international investor can write off come tax time. What are the other Correct. types of operating expenses that you typically see your foreign clients writing off come tax time? Well, one of the things which is interesting, mm-hmm. and obviously it has to be reasonable, mm-hmm. but you can write off some of your travel expenses to come, you know, look at your property each year, 
you know, and that's a, that's a nice thing. Office expenses, any professional or legal fees you would pay to an accountant or an attorney. Right. Uh, you know, so generally in your first year, you're going to have quite a bit of expenses like that to write off. Right. And then you also get depreciation, which is non-cash, mm-hmm. but is, is an expense. So you could, the idea is that you cash flow this thing positively, but you're showing minimal, if any, like, you know, taxable income for a while on this. Right, 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 right. Uh, and just to a little bit more about the depreciation, we might as well we'll get into it while we're here. Do you do a little bit of cost segregation when it comes to your clients and if they've got a large enough asset? Can you explain to these listeners out there in layman's terms a little bit about what cost segregation is? Yeah, a formal cost segregation study will cost, you know, it's going to cost you five to $8,000 probably. But what it does, if you have a large enough investment, you're able to take an engineering review of the plans of this building and actually break it down. And this has been vetted many, many times with the IRS. And so they're familiar with these Mm -hmm. and they know. So what you can do instead of having a property that's 27 and a half years, which is rental property, the the real property, right? you can break down sometimes half of the value of the property into five-year property or seven-year property or 15-year property. So you're getting like an accelerated write-off on, on your depreciation. So given a large enough investment, say even half a million dollars, it's mm-hmm. probably it's more than likely worth it to do something like that. Right. And when you're talking about, uh, just for those people out there, that a little bit more what Brent was saying, I mean, he's meaning that you can segregate out different. So the building itself typically has a 27.5 year depreciation term, but you could say that your ceiling fans or your HVAC system, your heating and air conditioning system might have a not as longer time span to depreciate over. So it might only be five years or as Brett says, seven years, depending on what the engineer yep. says. Cabinets, carpeting, appliances, driveways, you know, fences, anything like that. Right. And as you sort of alluded to, you need to have a professional or an engineer. And and Brent, does your company help, you know, connect you with the, the if you have a large enough yes, asset? We don't do those ourselves. Uh-huh. That's a very, like, specialized skill. But we do have, we work with a couple of people that do it. And we're, Fantastic. we're very happy with what they've done, so... Right. I'm going to quiz you a little bit more about passive loss. And, and is, is, is this, mm-hmm. can this, can this be applied to international investors here in the U.S.? Yes. Well, the background in is that back in the old days, there weren't, there weren't no such thing as passive or active losses. So mm-hmm. people would, very wealthy people would buy things and just take losses on and, and, right, and end up paying no tax. But what happened when in 1984, there was a tax reconciliation act with Reagan and Senator Bradley, and they got together and they said, look, let's let's do something with these losses. So there's active losses and passive losses. So if you're an active participant, you're an actual real estate professional and you run this thing yourself, then it's an active loss and you can take it against your taxes. However, most people, you know, such as the people we're talking about, this is a passive investment. They're not running it. It's an investment for them. Mm-hmm. So what, what happens is you, you carry forward that loss. So, say, example, you know, with your depreciation, your first year, maybe you say, hey, I lost like three grand on this thing. You really didn't lose 3000 but you had depreciation, you carry it forward. Right. Maybe, you know, one year you have a bad year and you have a loss. But you can offset your income in other years with that loss. Interesting. So, so, one, so one year you might be negative, and that difference or that delta there can then be applied to the year that you're positive, correct? 
Correct. It's carried forward indefinitely. Right. As long as you own the- Fantastic. And so besides aiding international investors getting set up here in terms of their taxation and entity structuring, what else can NTA, NTA help with? Well, we can even, like you said, we can we could set up an LLC for you. We can do an LLP for you. We could set up a corporation. Right. We can help you pay your property taxes. Um, you know, we have a lot of connections. So if you want to sell a property, we can find someone to, to buy it from you. There's a lot of different things that we can do besides uh, just do your tax returns. One of the main things we do, obviously, is we obtain ITINs. We're a certifying acceptance agent with the IRS. Mm-hmm. So we can give you a streamlined process for getting getting the ITINs. And our processes are getting better all the time, but we're very, very used to doing this, or we make it pretty easy for people to do. So. Fantastic. And then for all those people out there who don't know what an ITIN number is, do you want to explain a little bit more, Brent, of, of what it is and why uh, an international investor needs to get one prior to uh, owning real estate here in the U.S.? Well, an in, it's called an individual tax identification number. And for us in the U.S., we have what's called a social security number. Mm-hmm. When we're born, we apply for one and we get it. And then, you know, we get taxed and hopefully we get social security when we die or when we get old. But <laughs> For people that are outside the country, they don't they, they can't get a social security number. But the government needs a way to identify you, and uh, property managers and people that handle your money need to report to the government. Uh, you know, to someone they have to have a number to do it. I imagine if I went to Australia and I started working there or I owned something there, I would have to get a tax ID number. It's nothing to be scared of. To me, I look at it as a startup cost to do business in the U.S. Right. And typically, what does that cost? If someone comes to you and say, hey, Brent, I'm, like, I'm looking to buy a bunch of properties, can they? it's just the one ITIN number. They just do it once at the beginning and that's it. That's right. They have it forever as long as they file returns. It costs $395 is what we charge. That's, that's, so there's a lot of administration on it, but that's, that's a pretty fair price. For those international investors listening out there, if you're buying a, a $100,000 property or even you know a $50,000 property or, or, or whatever, you know, 400 bucks or 500 bucks to get set up here legally is is well worth it. And then you'll have the also the other cost um, on top of that for getting your LLC set up. And sort of typically, what is an LLC? You know, you talked a little bit about in the beginning filing fees in individual states, but I guess you have to have a you, you have to set up an LLC in the state that which your property is in. Not necessarily. Like anything, there's a lot of misinformation out there, and there's also a lot of like wives' tales. For example, a lot of people think that a Delaware LLC is the only way to go because it's, you know, so cheap. But what happens is all the states catch up. (laughs) So to me, it does make sense to an extent to have the LLC in the state where your property's in. Just for the fact that you remember that it's there. (laughs) Remember to to have it registered and remember to, to pay the fee. Otherwise, you kind of like you lose connection with the property. Right. To an extent. I mean, we, we set up Michigan LLCs all the time because we're in Michigan most of the time. And these people can own property in any state with a Michigan LLC. You're going to pay tax possibly in that state depending on, you know, where that where that property is. Right. As and, well. And for those people out there, typically do you advise uh, when you're setting up an LLC? I know that there's a couple of states around the U.S. I've set up an LLC in New York and there's an advertising sort of component to it uh, in Michigan or Delaware or I've also set up stuff in Philadelphia where it doesn't have an advertising component. So 
is that just a, a process that you have to go through? And so say if I own something in the state of New York, I would need to then advertise that I'm doing business and my LLC is going to be set up. Yeah, here. New, I, I don't mean to make this political commentary, but <laughs> any state that's extremely liberal or progressive, they have very high tax rates mm-hmm. and the very barriers to entry. Right. So yeah, if you're going to, you're going to do business in New York, it doesn't matter where your LLC is. You need to register it in New York. Right. Other right. states are not necessarily like that for rental properties. Right. You know, I, for example, you're not running a business, a uh, retail business or something like that. If you're doing that, then you need to register in every state that you're doing that kind of business. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. most states do not have to do that. And um, Brent, can we just talk a little bit about, you know, can you help international investors with their taxes when they're investing in a syndication here in the US? Can you provide independent taxation advice and review the syndication entity documentation to ensure that the syndicators are complying with federal taxation requirements? Absolutely. Just a little bit out there, guys, uh, into those listeners out there. I use syndication in my real estate business at RSM Property Group, and I, I typically release quarterly payments to my investors. So, Brent, can you just explain, you know, my investors will own an, an individual LLC, which will then own a portion of the LLC that owns the property. So how do mm-hmm. the investors benefit from the depreciation of the building and the components when it comes to tax time? Is there a flow-through benefit? And I get asked that question quite often, and I thought I'd pose it to you yeah, because yes. you're, you're, you're the expert. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Everything flows through. So what happens is the depreciation is recognized uh, at the level of the you know the ownership. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, say uh, the LLP or LLC that you have owns a hundred properties, and you right. own just a share of that LLP. That LLP will report depreciation on all hundred properties, right. and you'll take a share of that depending on your ownership share of that. You take a share of all the income and all the expenses, including depreciation, for the, your share of the ownership of that entity. Right. And so, Brent, if I'm an international investor and I employ you to be my taxation advisor, and then I go and invest in a, in a syndication and they have a separate tax guide, do they send me some piece of paper that I can then give to you to say, hey, Brent, this is the portion that I get from the depreciation of those 100 properties? Yes, okay. they do. They'll send me what's called a K-1. Okay. Fantastic. And they want to tell me their share of income or loss and anything that's pertinent to put on their personal return. So, Perfect. And then, so all those listeners out there, just remember the K-1. I know I get asked many questions all the time. How does that depreciation, how can I benefit from depreciation of all these properties if I'm own, only owning a portion of the property? The answer is that your portion ownership is what you get in terms of depreciation. And Brent, what can you talk a little bit about um, risk mitigation here in the U.S.? You know, what, what do you see your investors multi, uh, investing? Are they investing in multiple smaller assets, or they are actively investing in syndications and, and owning a portion of a larger asset and being more hands-off investing? Because I, I could imagine there's sort of horses for courses. If you own a single-family um, uh, property here that cash flows, you're going to have probably a little bit more hands-on. Uh, management of the property than if you own uh, a portion of a large syndication that owns, say, 350-unit apartment. That's correct. Yeah, and also your risk. I mean, if you own one or two properties and one of them is not doing well, then you're you're going to take a hit. Now, so you own a large portion of a small investment. Now, if you own a smaller portion of a large investment, your risk is spread through hundreds of properties Plus, you have somebody managing the LLP and the investment that knows a lot more about doing it than you do. Right. And you alluded to at the beginning of when we started talking to that your first thing you've got to do is 
find someone you trust here in the US that you can buy properties with or, or, or through. Uh, and I guess that goes back to the syndication. And uh, as I say, horses for courses, not everyone will do the syndication route and some people will do more. They want to be more involved in actively owning the entire property. Um, but other people might just want to sit back and relax a little bit more and only own a portion and just get a nice return on their money. So Brent, with that being said, what has been the biggest learning experience to date that has shaped your success in the US market? Biggest learning experience is, like I said, make sure that you work with someone managing your property that knows what they're doing. We're affiliate members of an organization called NARPM, which is a national association of residential property managers. They do significant training, and they're a very hands-on organization with people. People that are affiliated with that organization do a very good job managing properties. They're very responsible. And I guess another experience is there's a lot of different aspects to, to investing in the U.S. besides taxes. Right. You have to understand that there's property taxes that are paid. Each municipality is different, so you have to understand how to pay those. Right. Make sure those are paid. You have to make sure that people handle the title work correctly on the, on the sales. of We have a lot of problems with title work and right. then with people that don't know what they're doing. So you have to make sure that these people are experts at the title work and get your property titled correctly at the beginning. And those are two of the biggest issues. Well, that's the whole point of this show is that to aid other international investors. As you said before, there's a lot of misinformation out on the internet and a lot of people get caught up in all the weeds. And it's uh, this show really helps international investors break through all those weeds, gets to the juicy stuff and gets to understanding the real facts behind it and, and interviewing people like yourself who... Uh, industry leaders, and you're an industry leader in the taxation world, is fantastic because then you give those you give information to those international investors that can help them successfully invest in the US. And I'm assuming, Brett, that if I come to you as an international investor, you're just sort of one stepping stone that can then open the doors to property managers, to understanding, as you said, the state taxes that you might need to be paying on your real estate and those sort of things so they can help form a team uh, around them to support their investment here in the US. Absolutely. Yeah, we have contacts in every every aspect of real estate, so we can definitely help you. And we provide a half-hour free consultation to anyone that calls. And the last thing I didn't actually quite mention, Brett, is that you obviously help people in, in the U.S. There's different state requirements, and you can help people with those different filings in, in individual states if, if, the property, if you own a bunch of properties in, say, Texas or in, say, Michigan or in, say, Colorado. You can help with all those different state filing. Absolutely. Yeah, Fantastic. we can do any state and have. Great stuff, mate. Look, what's been the biggest mistake in your career to date? Sticking with a firm too long that underappreciated me. You know, I made made partners a lot of money at places. Mm-hmm. And now you've taken ownership of, that's fantastic. I love getting well, out that there. And, and just doing something you enjoy doing. That's and great. It's really fun for us. So Fantastic. I love that you took some action and, you know, the opportunity was presented to you, as you explained earlier in the, in the, in the show, and uh, you went with it. It's good to sometimes, it's a little bit nerve wracking when you don't know what, you know, it's going out Absolutely. on your own. But in saying that, you sometimes when your back's against the wall, it's funny how well you adapt and you actually land on your feet nine times out of 10 if you're, if you're really hungry for success. Looking forward, what are you doing to build on your business and grow as a taxation entrepreneur here in the U.S.? Well, we're doing a lot of marketing efforts. One thing we do is we do a lot of educational seminars for, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, NARPM and for the International Real Estate Management uh, Association. We're getting out there. We also will do anything as far as, for example, this podcast is great, gets us more exposure. We have a marketing director 
Bobby mm-hmm. Samborski, who works for the entire company, but he works a lot on my division. And so he, he gets out there, contacts uh, people internationally, on, you know, that, that sell properties, that, that want to sell to investors overseas. I've been to Singapore, United mm-hmm. Kingdom, Canada. We have a trip. Chris and I, we're probably going to go to Vietnam in, uh, in May. So we're going to do some education there. And so, I mean, whatever we think we can do with the help of Bobby, who's, you know, that's his job is to, to market for us, we'll do. And we also, you know, we get a lot of referrals from all our property manager clients. We have them in half the states. We have clients there. So, fantastic. you know, through referrals and, and, and marketing, really. And just for those listeners out there, you know, I get industry leaders on the show that I work with uh, in my personal business or have been referred to on personal business. So everyone who comes on this show has been well vetted and they truly are industry leaders. So people who take, the, take this information, they know what they're doing, uh, give them a call uh, and talk to Brent and his team. So, Brent, with all that experience helping international investors starting here investing in the U.S., I know you're primed to give me your top five investing tips. Are you ready to get into it? Sure. What's your most successful habit that you practice to keep on track towards your goals? You have to definitely quantify everything that's happening. So on a monthly basis, you want to quantify as far as our example, we quanti- we do a multi-financial statement so we know how we're doing. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much where we start. You do the numbers behind every deal before going into it. Yes. Yeah, we figure it out. Then we track it. And this sort of leads me into my next question is that what's the most influential tool in your real estate or taxation business and why? Well, our most influential tool is people like you, really. They can get us involved in different... Uh, we want to always expand our knowledge. We want to expand our customer base. So we want, we need people to help us. We, we can't find the work sitting at our desk. So the most important tool is just people like you, contacts, and people to let us get out there. And we learn new things by doing new things. Fantastic. We call it a paid education. So It's sort of that, that networking and increasing your network, I think, is really key. I constantly expand on my network all the time because, as you said, I don't know everything. And we're a big believer on this show of building a good, solid team around you. And that's why we interview people like yourself to help build out their team uh, when they come to the U.S. and want to invest here. So I'm I'm 100% behind you uh, in terms of getting out there, networking with as many people as you can, finding more clients through uh, good relationships. Mate, what's the most exciting project you're working on right now? I think I mentioned it. The guy with the oil tanker business, which is really <laughs> interesting. He also owns a ton of real estate as well. So that's how we got involved with him. Wow. But just, uh, just to expand our knowledge in a different area of tax and a different, uh, you know, economic environment. And mm-hmm. we're also proposing for a company in North Dakota okay. that sells farmland. Okay. They actually sell farmland. And so you would buy this into this partnership that leases farmland to farmers to make money in farming. They need more land, but they can't afford to buy more land. Right. So what they can do is lease the land from mm-hmm. the from these partnerships. Right. So we're working on a way. There's obviously a lot of tax compliance with that. Mm-hmm. So we, we would have to do a lot of like you know monthly bookkeeping, mm-hmm. financial statements they want, and then there'll be quarterly withholdings and all sorts of things to do. So it's a big opportunity for us. So we're proposing on that, and just uh, you know just maintaining the business and trying to grow it. And 
is trying to to make sure that we're servicing our clients as best we can and jumping on the new year because the tax year comes up quick on us. Yes, I know. I've got to start preparing my taxes. (laughs) It always comes around quickly. And Brent, who's the most influential person in your career? Most influential person in my career was the first partner I worked for in my first CPA firm. The guy mentored me. I've always been a little bit, um, I'm very detail-oriented, and I really care, and I try really hard, but I try too hard sometimes. And so this guy was key in saying, look, believe in yourself, just work hard, good things will happen. He believed in me, and I wouldn't be where I am today without that guy. Fantastic. What was his name? His name was Jay Kaiser. Jay Kaiser. Well, Jay, if you're listening, you are Brent Green's most influential person in his career. That's fantastic. And Brent, last question is, what's your best U.S. deal you've done to date or been involved in? Our best deal. Mm. We have a deal. We work with some German clients that own a bunch of properties all over the U.S. And uh, they own over 600 properties. So so it's a pretty good deal for us. We do their (laughs) monthly financials and all their tax compliance. And then we got to know some of the the very influential people in Germany that buy property and own businesses all over the world. So we get an opportunity maybe to go there again. That's huge. Traveling is awesome if you can do it. (laughs) Exactly. Especially when you get the client to pay you to go. (laughs) Business trip, right? And as you were sort of talking before, if you're an international investor, you can sometimes write off your trip to come and view your property. Oh, that's great. And what sort of properties do they own? Do they own single families or multis or both? Or? They own all sorts of different things. Fantastic. Single families, they own apartments, they own commercial buildings, all sorts of things. And Brent, last question is, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They can reach me. Uh, I can give you my direct phone number. It's uh, 586-439-0187. And uh, they can reach me on the internet at bgreen at integrated fg.com stands for financial group. Well, Brent, you've been an absolute wealth of knowledge when it comes to US taxation system. I'm so glad I got you on the show to give us your expert information on US taxes and really uh, demystify all the misleading information out there about buying US real estate. Brent, you've given the listeners some incredible takeaway advice and pointers on getting set up here in the US from taxation point of view and the best types of entity structures for international investors. Thanks again for dropping by and chatting with us and we'll catch up soon. Thanks a lot, Reed. It was very enjoyable. Well, there you have it. A great A to Z on getting set up here in the US and the tax implications for international investors. We covered everything from applying from an item number to setting up the right entity structuring to understanding how to maximize your deductions using that entity. Now, make sure you check out all the show notes for a summary of today's conversation with Brent and any links we mentioned on today's show. A summary of the conversation will be go up online at my website at rsnpropertygroup.com. Click on the podcast tab. There were definitely some really important information nuggets that listeners might want to go back and review. Thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in and continuing to grow your real estate investing knowledge. I hope you got a lot out of today's show. To continue the conversation with us, follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching RSM Property Group. And remember to leave an iTunes review below as we really would appreciate it as it helps us grow our community of listeners eager to invest in the US. So until next week, take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing. Thank you.